calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. recording. Six years since I was taken from the USS Samson. The last time you heard from me, I was a man without a voice, a man without freedom. Much has changed since then. We didn't target the Algri in the rebellion. They would have been prepared for that. But that was never our goal. We targeted their machines. We learned how they worked, how they were programmed, how they could be turned off. It wasn't easy. And still, too many died on both sides. A war was still fought, but it was quick and the outcome undisputed. The loss of the machines for the Algri was not like removing a band-aid, instead like removing a root. Centuries spent growing complacent, growing dependent on their machines for all aspects of their lives. 
Without them, they had nothing holding them up. They were putty. The calm, calculated Algri, reduced to panic and chaos. In our victories against them, the Algri found many things they had been missing for hundreds of years. Adversity, fear, pain. I don't ever want to condone or make light of war or of the death that accompanies it. But with all we took from them, for the first time in centuries, they had gained something new. Hope. Albeit hope delivered in a painful, but deserved wake-up call. Hope is something every human, alien, whatever the species, needs for a life to be a life. It's not oxygen, it's not food, but it is. For the spirit, it is. Without something to hope for or work towards, we are no different from the dirt we come from or the robots we program. The algorithm that survived, and there were many, now have this hope. It's one wrapped in pain and trauma and probably anger, but a hope that beats louder than any cog in their old machines ever could. It's the same hope that kept me alive on the Samson, the same hope that kept me upright in the fields, in the pits as a slave. The same hope that meets my scars in the mirror. The Algri did not become our slaves. It's a new world here on planet Agoras. It's messy. It's not without problems, but it is one of free people. Everyone. And as I've come to learn in the last three years, Agora's is just one inhabited in a galaxy of many. The Algri, what they did to us, to me, was unconscionable. But I've learned there are bigger worlds and greater evils, worse alien races still. The Algri were not world destroyers, more aptly the vultures of the stars, picking at the carcasses of planetary tragedy and rounding up lost survivors, like myself. After we gained control of the planet, not everyone thought the machines should be disabled. There were many among us who wanted them reprogrammed, made to work for us. Why let such power, such security and convenience go to waste, they preached. Why not program the machines in our favor, 
for everyone. Equally, they reason. I didn't agree. We had just seen where noble intentions such as those led. The Algri and their machines. Honest beginning started just the same. But the good fortune of victory in the rebellion clouded perspective. It inflated egos. Like a famished beast, those of us who never tasted power were too eager to gorge on it now. I disagreed. I voiced my opinion, but was outnumbered. The machine reprogramming project went underway. I wasn't, of course, without my own vices. For the first time in years, no longer a slave to the isolation on the Samson, no longer a slave to the Algri, I became instead a slave to something else, to the physical pleasures of existence that had for so long been lost to me. After the rebellion, I had clout. Not a lot, but some. I wish I could say I used it to build a better world, to do good. But the taste of freedom, the allure of comfort, true comfort, for the first time in so long, was too tempting. Women, drink, the allure of a lavish lifestyle I could now lose myself in. And I did. I lost myself in the wrong side of new freedom. I became someone I didn't recognize. A foreigner to myself on a foreign world. In this time, I didn't reach for the recorder. I didn't want to talk to my past self, my past life. I wanted to move on. I wanted to believe I could. There were times I wanted to talk to you, but I was afraid of reopening the wound. I learned how to suppress the urge. It breaks me now to think of the things I did, the things I justified in the name of forgetting. Goraz was my new home, my new life. I couldn't let myself look back, I told myself. But what was I really looking for? One night, I was out late. I was drunk on Glick. Basically a more effective, more painful vodka. I didn't want to go to my home. It was a big house, filled with all the luxury the spoils of war made possible. I normally took great pride in the place, but on this particular night, a part of me wanted to avoid it. In my drunken stupor, I was resisting the idea of it existing. Such a permanent thing in this foreign place, 
I went to the Crimson Quarter, a place where enterprising women kept empty men. I paid for a room, and they sent one up to meet me. A woman came to the door. She was younger than I was expecting. Gleck isn't like Earth's alcohol. It can do many things to your mind, some of which you aren't always ready for. I saw this young woman in all her innocence, waiting there for me to speak. And in that moment, she wasn't the alien visitor that I was expecting. I saw my daughter. I resisted any thoughts of the past, any thoughts of my family for so long, in an attempt to move on, to be present. And in many ways it worked. But here, in the middle of the night, in a seedy corner of this far-off planet, I saw Cassie staring back at me. I couldn't run away from these memories anymore. I hugged her and I cried. A real hug and real tears. Two things that have long been lost to me. She hugged me back and for an instant, the tiniest instant, I felt a peace I hadn't known in years. Despite the gleck in my veins, that precious peace, the magnitude of the moment, rose above everything. Then, then uh, she started to remove her clothes. I immediately yelled at her, what are you doing? And she now began to cry herself, saying, isn't this what I wanted? I snapped out of it, shook myself from my stupor and hypnosis of the drink, and saw the woman standing in front of me. Of course it wasn't my daughter, but the alien visitor I had ordered. I sent her off and sat alone with my thoughts for what felt like an eternity. I felt in that moment a pain worse than anything I felt on the Samson, worse than any brutality experienced at the hands of the Algri. I felt a disgust within myself that topped everything else. What did I let myself become? How could I have forgotten who I am and those who matter most? Worse, everything up to this point was not by my doing. I didn't choose to be left stranded in space. I didn't choose to be thrown into bondage. But this was the person I now was. I had created him myself. And that realization hurt most of all.
Back in the mines, in the work fields, another slave of the Klue race once told a story. There was a shepherd who had little, but knew his purpose. This shepherd had a brother he had once accidentally crossed. His brother was a very powerful, very dangerous man. Unlike the shepherd, though, the brother lacked purpose. He had forgotten who he was. He filled these voids with gold, riches, and war. After years apart, this rich and powerful brother tracked down and aggressively approached the shepherd. The shepherd feared for his life. In one swift motion, the brother went to bite the shepherd on his neck. But the impossible happened. The shepherd's neck turned to stone and shattered the brother's teeth. As the man told the story, he explained it was because the shepherd's connection between his head and his heart was strong. His truth paved with such conviction that the bridge between the two, such powerful, warring things, the head and the heart, was strong as stone and could not be penetrated. The clue emphasize the importance of solidifying both equally lest one steers you astray. After hearing this story, months went by before I eventually heard from a separate clue that I wasn't told the full picture. The shepherd's neck didn't really turn to stone, of course, he said. It was a metaphor. And the rich brother, in fact, never tried to bite him but instead did just the opposite. The rich brother was a fan of the shepherd's work ethic, of his convictions and wanted him to join his own pursuits. He never tried to attack or bite the shepherd's neck, but instead kissed the shepherd's neck. What's so bad about that? I asked the clue, and he responded, that a warm greeting or invitation from a bad influence can do more damage than any physical harm. The shepherd's neck turned to stone metaphorically, in that the shepherd could resist any of the ill-gotten riches and lavish offerings the corrupted brother could tempt him with. After the rebellion, I may have been bitten too many times by the wrong influence. I had forgotten who I was. The complete man is empty. He has nothing to live for. The incomplete man is moving, is on a journey. He has hope. The second you stop growing, everything collapses. I stopped growing on Algaraz. I became no different than the Algri. In truth, none of us are ever complete. We'll never be perfect when we decide we are, in spite of that fact. That's when we lose. I want to again relish in my incomplete journey. I want to appreciate the memories that still hurt and the missing questions I still need answered. 
I will no longer let myself forget or let myself be comfortable. The great machines have finally been repaired and repurposed. They are set to launch in the coming days. I'm sure it'll be fine at first. It's what they lead to. What agency they remove, I'm weary of. Either way, I won't be around to see it. After that night, when I saw you, Cassie, in the worst of conditions, I began to wake up. I began to remember all I tried to forget. I realized I needed to go to myself, my true self. And I knew there was only one place I could find it. The one place I could still find you. I sold my home and all the spoils inside it I had earned. All the possessions I gained in my six years on Algaraz. I let go of all of it. I finally had comfort and stability, but its cost was too great. To remain on Algaraz, I needed to forget. And I know now, I can't. Not when I still have questions. I used the profit from selling all I own to buy a ship. It's nothing fancy, but it has a quad drive and will get me where I need to go. I'm talking to you now, while en route. I'm returning to Earth. I don't know what I'll find when I get there, but I'm going to find out. It took six years surviving slavery, an uprising, and my own self, but Cassie, Jason.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.